Welcome into VIC Studios. This is the Fox and the Fish Sports Show. My name is Eli Fishman. Alongside me is Daniel Fox. Early in the morning, we're up. We're talking sports. Daniel, how are you doing? I am doing great, man. I have been looking forward to this. Let's talk some sports. Absolutely. Semester getting started. New round of shows coming in. Today is the first day here on VIC Radio of the sports talk shows. A couple feet of snow on the ground, a, a nice a nice cold February morning, but there's still an MLB lockout. We don't have a spring training to look forward to. We don't have, you know, the nice little Florida and Arizona sun watching on our screen every day. It's almost supposed to be that time, but the lockout is still going on. Daniel, what is going on in the baseball world? Well, that's the question, isn't it? I mean, does anybody know what's going on? Uh, this past week has just been more bad news. The um, the uh, MLB uh, requested uh, a uh, in, um, intermediate mediator. That's the word I'm trying to say. They requested a mediator, and it was denied by the MLB Players Association, the MLBPA. Um, sent out a memo saying we're ready to negotiate. We are not going to do a mediator. And that's where we are right now. We don't know when the next meeting is. Jeff Passan and his uh, crew has been all over it. But, yeah, Fish, what are your thoughts? It's just so frustrating to see two sides that want the same thing because they do want the same thing. They want baseball and to make money, not being able to agree, to agree because both sides are truly selfish. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like a lockout would be so bad for the sport. I think everybody realizes that, especially when you see how well football is doing. The viewership is off the charts, and for baseball to have two out of three seasons, which this would be of a shortened season, would be absolutely terrible. But who who do you think is to blame? Which side has the most to blame? In my opinion, it would be the owners. Okay, because the owners are the ones they could snap their fingers right now, and there would be a season. Uh, with the same agreement as last year, but they are not negotiating in good faith like we saw two years ago with um, the shortened season because of COVID. And it's just so frustrating to see really greed has is endangering the future of this sport. Listen, I definitely understand. Voice, a little voice crack there. Little voice crack, I so definitely always. understand that, and I can see why the rest of the baseball world understands that because – the owners are these rich guys that are locking the little guys out, and it feels like a big guy, little guy situation. But the fact of the, of the matter is, is yes, while it is that kind of conversation, it is a world of business. And when the owners feel that they're being unnecessarily taken advantage of for things that they don't necessarily agree on, we're not talking about millions of dollars. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're not talking about tens of thousands tens of millions of dollars we're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars that over the course of what is it six years six eight years that the cba is how much money as a collective whole they're gonna make so yes i do feel like the owners should be giving an extra you know hundred thousand dollars per player for the league minimum but if you really think about it extra hundred thousand dollars for eight years for all these players it adds up Mm -hmm. and then you look at the minor leagues and how much they're spending and then you look at arbitration and how much teams want to win and how much these little teams like 
You know, you look at the Oakland A's, you look at the Tampa Bay Rays and the the Orioles and the Pirates who are trying to build up teams. What they're trying to do is not get taken advantage of by the system. And they're trying to fight so hard to be able to make that money. Teams fold. Teams move. Right? These yeah. In the CBA, these owners, yes, they're billionaires. Yes, they're very rich. Yes, they have a lot of power and the players don't. But I'm just trying to play devil's advocate a yeah. little bit that the fact that the owners are in a very tough spot and I do think they should fight for what's best for their bank accounts, for their franchises, and for their fans, which in the long term is the money is the is the team making more money, not necessarily the players making more money. Mm-hmm. Well, I think is frustrating is not just look, I think you're right that the owners deserve to fight and this is a lot of money that we're talking about. I think what makes a fan like me upset is when you hear the players saying, we want to come to the table, we want to negotiate we, in good faith, and the owners are like, we're not going to make a counter-argument. And they're just so far apart. I think what makes this hard is there's so many different things they're negotiating. Some things they've actually already gotten done. Um, expa- uh, universal DH, expanded play- playoff field. But if I'm not mistaken, and you could correct me, Fish, I think the main part is um, – uh, uh, service time, right? Six or seven years, um, how much money those players are making, because that's been a big deal over the past when you look at Chris Bryant uh, and players like that who are service time is manipulated so they could get that extra year before free agency. Did you read the um, – this was from a while ago, and I'm not sure if they kept it – that MLB pitched that only the top 150 MLB prospects, mm-hmm. if they spend a whole year on a roster and get top five in, Cy Young – um, MVP, or, or I think it uh, might have been Rookie of the Year. Does War have something to do with it? Or maybe it was those uh, Cy yeah. Young, mm-hmm. um, MVP, and, and War. Get... Only those players. Uh-huh. That is so stupid. Those kind of things, in my opinion, where you have you know, an outside outlet based on the top 150 prospects in the game, it uh-huh. should be every single player. It should be, in terms of that, I think it should be if a player spends an entire season of his rookie year on the MLB roster. Well, no, but isn't that the argument, right? Because That's the argument of the players, but the owners, I'm no, no, saying. No, 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 because right now, isn't that what it is? Because that's why Chris Bryant, right, you could wait 15 days and serve that extra time. I think it has to be if they exceed their rookie qualification. Right. Right? So Not just if they spend a whole year. The rookie qualification, though, is, I don't know. I think the MLB service time is that would still probably be 190 days, too. 190 days, and you only have to be for 130. It's it's it, something, yeah. something like that where you can get a full year of service time without being on the active roster for um. It's like 90 percent of the season that you that you have to be. So obviously the guys send the guys down to the minors, and we, oh, we've and seen we've it a lot. That. We've seen it a lot, and the players are very frustrated by that. The wor- my my least favorite thing that's been talked about is the draft lottery. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I just yeah. hate it. The fact that you spin a little thing to pick out players, and also the fact that I'm hearing so many people, um, especially you know analysts and and on social media, say that teams shouldn't have, um, or because uh, the owners pitch this, teams shouldn't have a top three pick more than two years in a row. Yes, and I don't like that. I don't like that either because we're not talking about the NBA, right? Where you right. every year has a generational guy who could change a team. How many number one picks over the last – in the history of the draft have been true game changers? Chipper Jones, 
Alex Rodriguez, Ken Griffey Jr. You could put someone like Joe Mauer or Bryce Harper into that. But most of the time, it's it's not a sure thing. So no one's really taking, like, no one's saying suck for luck. No one's saying let's tank for the number one pick. This last year, right, no one was really certain about the number one pick. The Red Sox, with the four pick, might have got the best player in the draft. So I don't really think there's, no one's really tanking. They're tanking for the purpose of resetting a salary, building up a farm system. They're not tanking for let's get that number one pick. So I don't think there's a need for a draft lottery. No, 100%. And I completely, completely agree with that. Um, And I feel like, I just hate the idea of teams tanking to get picks and to rebuild. I think it's okay for teams to not be competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm completely fine. The Orioles suck. The Pirates suck. These teams are rebuilding. So what? Because it's going to be worth it. The Astros did the exact same thing. The Astros and the Cubs. And I also, you know, now that now that we talk about the Astros and the Cubs, those are both teams that had great runs and won a World Series after this rebuild. So that after their rebuild and after they both had back-to-back top three picks. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I understand it a little bit. But, but like you said, prospects don't pan out. I don't think there's a systematic exactly. in baseball. But here's where I necessarily disagree with you. I don't call it tanking for a pick, but I call it team sucking. Teams like the Mariners, like the Pirates, like the Orioles, these teams, yes, they're rebuilding. They're not tanking for picks, but they're still sucking for extended periods of time, which is not good for the game. I think it's important to distinguish the difference between rebuilding and tanking. Rebuilding means we're getting rid of some players, we're trying new guys out, and we don't necessarily care. But that still means being uncompetitive, which is not good for the game. Yes, in some sense, but... It's not like taking where teams are purposely losing, purposely getting guys out of there who can help them win, like we see, you know, famously the 76ers in basketball. But it's okay to have rebuilding teams. Every team is going to have, every sport is going to have rebuilding teams, you know, because not, then you have teams that are just going to be stuck in the middle. You don't want a bunch of teams that are just, you can't incentivize people to try and be 500, you know. To just I think you can. Yeah, but I don't I like that. I think you really can. I don't want like that. Because you could go if, – if you don't tear it all down, if you just keep treading water with a mediocre team, like let's say the Royals right now. Like if the Royals just keep treading around, not try and get prospects and try – keep signing like guys like Carlos Santana every year, you know, maybe you know, that makes them a little more easy to watch. But they're never going to win a World Series if they keep trying to play for 500. There are going to be teams that are going to tear it down and build back up because that's how you win championships, and that's how you build your team to win championships. I, I do agree, I, but I do think there needs to be something to incentivize not necessarily – because in baseball, you can have a rebuild period and be stacking up draft picks and have a lot of guys in your farm system make, and make a lot of trades – but those guys, because they're prospects, aren't going to be affecting the big league club. So you should still be able to have a, at least solidly competitive big league club. One idea that I've you know thought about a little bit, and I think I've seen it. I don't know if it was pitched in one of the meetings or it's just been talked about. Um, was being a minimum that you have to spend every year on free agents. That, that, I, that I could see. I would. I, I wouldn't mind see. that. I really wouldn't mind but that. But what I don't want it to be is you know let's say there's a salary floor. Let's say. At a hundred million dollars, and the Pirates, you know, just or the Rays or a team like that, are at forty million dollars, and they're like, okay, let's overpay for 
one of these mid-level free agents, right? That's worth five dollars. Let's give him fifteen, right? That's gonna. I, you see it in basketball, man. I know you're not a big basketball guy, but um, you know you got guys like Chandler Parsons getting thirty million dollars, and they're not worth anything, really. So I don't really want to see that inflation of the because that will throw everything off. I'm so excited to see how much Carlos Correa is gonna get. Yeah. Like, does he break $400 million? I don't think so. I have to say I've always thought Carlos Correa is a little bit overrated. Oh, no, I completely agree. And never, I don't think he's an insanely, insanely good player. He's more than 30 home runs in he's a season. A, he, you know, he's a great shortstop and has always been an above-average player, but mm-hmm. no, he's worth nowhere near the money that he's been talked about getting. And I feel like that inflation over the next few years. That's also what the owners are worried about uh-huh. um, and, and why they're trying to control. Oh, my God. It's crazy. It's crazy. contract with Harper and Machado, and then the next year it's $400 million with Chad. Obviously, he's Mike Trout. So, obviously, I think that's what the players are worried about, uh, the owners are worried about. But let's go back to Correa. He's never hit more than 30 home runs in a season. Never dro- If you want to go with RBIs, he's never dri- driven over 100 in a season. He's only played more than he's only played more than 110 games twice. How are you going to give 350 400 million dollars to a guy who's only hit more than 100 and who's only played more than 110 games twice? And obviously there's things he does. He is when healthy, he is one of the best players in baseball. He draws walks, he plays great defense, but he hasn't shown you that he could have a healthy, productive season. He's had ups and downs. His 2020 season was not good. He only had a 709 OPS, 909 OPS, 909 OPS. Before that, you know, in the full last full season before COVID, 21 home runs, 75. He did 21 home runs in 75 games, but only 279, 358, and he missed so much of the season. So I just don't think you could give that much money to a guy who hasn't proven he can stay healthy. Right. I'm a big batting average guy, too, and he only hit 277 in his career, which obviously is pretty darn good, but in the grand scheme of things, not necessarily. What I really wanted was to see how much Fernando Tatis would have gotten on the open yeah, market. They, he definitely got underpaid. Same thing with Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna. They all got... The Braves, the Braves were doing got some shady steal. things. The Braves were doing yes, some shady things. Yes, they had some corrupt, what was it, like corruption five issues. Five years, 110? Yeah, I think so. I think so. They they yeah. definitely – and Soto, they got Soto for very – the Nationals extended mm. Soto for very cheap too, which you can understand. And Wander Franco, can we talk about that? In my yeah. opinion, um, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember exactly what the contract is. It was, it was similar. It um, was, I believe – 12 years in the uh, – was it 12 years in the $300 million range, I believe? No, so. 11 182 Jeez. I was they got him. Off. It feels like dirt cheap because well, I think Juan Franco is going to be one of the greatest players of I, all time. I think that is a little misleading because when you talk about – they bought out his arbitration years, and his arbitration years – That's very true. That's true. $30 million. That's the, then the same thing with Acuna and Soto. Yeah. It's a little misleading because you're talking about maybe he gets $3 million this year, $10 million the next year. So he would still be underpaid. So it's backloaded. But still, for a guy who I – you can see he's going to be one of the best players in baseball. I mean, just in the last postseason. But, I mean, he's – it's just – I like the fact that players um, are – you know, these small market teams, they're able to keep their players because what you don't want is something that happened before 2000 – where, you know, before the 2002 CBA, where these young players, like I think Jason Giambi with the A's, you know, a player like that, 
they like they wouldn't be able to afford them, and they just go in the free agent market, and the Red Sox and the Yankees would sign them. So I like it in the sense that these small market teams can keep their stars, but not in the sense that these players are definitely getting less than their worth. When do you think this lockout is going to end? What's your that's prediction? A good, that's a good question. I, I see. It's hard because I don't know when they're meeting. That's true. Because if they're meeting every, I, what, they barely been, they've been meeting like twice a week. It's so frustrating. Is they should be doing everything possible to get a deal done, but they didn't meet until mid January, and even now, you know, you get excited when you see oh MOB and MOBPA meeting today, and then hour and a half later the meeting has ended. It was an intense discussion. Both sides were angry, and nothing got done. So I don't know. My I think somebody's going to crack, and I think it's unfortunately going to be the players because the players have the most to lose by another shortened season. I think spring training gets delayed, um, obviously. I think it's going to be shortened and delayed, and I think maybe the season gets pushed back a little bit. But my gut says I can't see them have another 162, another non-162 game season. Definitely. It's, it's kind of sad that the best part of your day, you know, every couple of days is when you get that Jeff Pass notification. Yeah, exactly. MLBPA and MLBPA, MLB and MLBPA are meeting. And then, you know, a little bit later, you get the Evan Drellick, the athletic. Yeah. He's come out of nowhere, by the way, after that Red Astros Sox story. Red Sox guy. Right. And, and he was the Astros beat writer for a while. Uh-huh. I know I want to read his book about the Astros cheating scandal. Uh-huh. And, like, the whole – he's actually writing one, like – it's a combination of like about the Astros cheating scandal and their rebuild. Uh-huh. So I'm, I want to read that book. Get the Astros credit. You, you, I, I feel like you definitely yeah. do. Um, Carlos Beltran. Let's talk. Let's briefly touch on that, and then we'll go to the MLB Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. Carlos Beltran is a yes analyst. I love it, but I was shocked. He's a guy who should be a big league manager That's who's going to be in the booth. Well, if you look at it, a lot of guys who should be big league managers and then eventually become big league managers. That transition period between their job and retiring, a lot of guys become analysts. I mean, they know the game. If you look at Alex Cora, David Ross, um, they went up to ESPN. So I don't think it's that shocking. But Carlos Beltran, he was the Mets manager. He was the he Mets was the manager. Met, met the manager of an up-and-coming team and one of the highest-value teams in the world. Mm-hmm. And he's working for Yes Network as... I mean, the Yes Network is a pretty yes. good sport. You yes, know, obviously it is, but I would ESPN much work. rather see Carlos Beltran on the field for the Yankees, uh, or in the dugout for the Yankees, rather. Uh-huh. Hey, maybe this is a setup, man. Maybe. Even with Boone's new contract extension. To just, I mean, to get him part of the organization before some other team swipes him. It's true. You know, I think with the addition of Alex Cora, you know, the emergence, I should say, of Alex Cora, being bilingual is such a huge thing for a manager with all the – uh, Latin American players we have in the game. So I think that's, you know, we saw that with uh, uh, Luis Rojas. And um, I think it's just people want that manager who's able to connect to both, to all types of players. And I think that's a coveted trait. You know who taught herself Spanish when she was in a college dorm? When we ta- who? Rachel Balkovich. Mm. Mm. She grinded and she yeah. taught herself Spanish. Hey, that's going the extra mile, I tell you. Exactly. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. I feel like we're going to have a lot more opinions here, too, Mm -hmm. with the MLB Hall of Fame ballot. 2022 was a year that's going to go down in history as so controversial Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. And, I mean, 
it really doesn't get more controversial than the MLB Hall of Fame ballot. There are just so many flaws, so many issues, so many things we would love to see. David Ortiz, though, you're a Red Sox fan. I am a Red How Sox do you feel fan. about David Ortiz getting in? I'll just start with that. Just David Ortiz getting in, question mark. David Ortiz, Nothing else. David Ortiz getting in. I think most people, if you were to look back four or five years ago when he first retired, they didn't think he was going to get in because obviously he had he has that DH stigma because he didn't have any def- defensive value. And he also had that 2003 Mitchell report. But a couple of things happened over the last couple of years. First, we have the addition of Edgar Martinez, the first really, you know, Frank Thomas was the first guy who spent most of his time at the DH position. But Edgar Martinez re- redefined the position. That's what the award for the best DH every year is named after. So that helped David Ortiz because even though Edgar Martinez on a rate basis is better, David Ortiz has 200 more home runs, 300 more RBIs, and he has – Edgar Martinez was good in the postseason. David Ortiz was the man in the postseason. So now that we have the tracker, we kind of knew where David Ortiz – it was going to come right down to the wire, but he was able to sneak in and, let's see, first Red Sox guy to be inducted. I think, yeah, since Pedro in five years. It was a great moment. Um, Hall of Fame weekend, it's – um, there's a lot of guys who got elected, you know, uh, who was it? Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, um, a lot of guys who have since passed on, but it's going to be great to see David Ortiz in July in Cooperstown. A lot of Red Sox fans and his speech should be one to remember. I hate when people bring up David Ortiz statistics. I just hate it mm-hmm. because I feel like with all players, you just need to judge them by what you see on the field and statistics should be an afterthought. I think like statistics should be like David Ortiz is better than this player. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Here's why David Ortiz is a top five Red Sox of all time. Whatever it may be, statistics should only be something that you use to back up your observations. Mm-hmm. But everything else about obs- everything about about you know valuing a baseball player and. and voting on their Hall of Fame should be what you see from them. So that's why I hate when people bring up Ortiz statistics because his DH and because, you know, his he didn't steal a lot of bases or whatever the numbers are that contribute to other low numbers. But David Ortiz is one of the greatest baseball well, players of all time, in my opinion. I would push back on that argument because I think statistics can sometimes help you see a player you might have overlooked. You know, a guy like Larry Walker, you know, um, you didn't think he was a Hall of Famer because, you know, he wasn't um, – he didn't play that much. And he didn't have um, the same sort of, you know, all-star appearances, MVP. He did have one MVP, but he wasn't comparable to the guys on the – on you know, who have been in the Hall of Fame before. But then you look at the statistics and his defense, his base running, his rate statistics per game, even though he didn't play that much, you see this guy's a Hall of Famer, and that's why he boosted out – with the addition of statistics, we could see things that we didn't see before 50 years ago when we, um, you know, a guy who could walk a lot, a guy who plays great defense. That's what how, It's not just the eye test. you got to use everything. I disagree. I truly, truly disagree. Okay, here we go. I think the eye test is more important than any number, mm-hmm. than any number. I think the eye test is 99% of it, Ooh. and the statistics are 1%. I do not agree with that. Now, I, I agree that statistics – what I do agree with is that statistics should not be everything. Bobby Abreu, Hall of Famer? Absolutely not. Exactly. People like to say, oh, look at the walks. Look at the 
uh, war. Look at whatever. In my opinion, Larry Walker did not pass that. I mean, I didn't really – listen, I didn't, didn't get Larry. to see him play. But f- just from obs- observing history, Larry Walker does not pass the eye test. Not, see, I disagree. I mean, I, I'm right. He's in the Hall of Fame. But <laughs> um, So I don't agree with the writers. You don't agree with the writers. But, I, I mean, like a guy like Lou Whitaker, man, like you don't see – I mean, there's different types of Hall of Fame. Well, let me ask you this. What would be your Hall of Fame ballot this year? Who would you have? That's tough. I got to go look real quick at the 2022 Hall of Fame ballot. Um, Clemens and Bonds. Obviously, and we could get into them next. Those are surefire Hall of Famers. Scott Rowland, man. No, I don't. I think Scott Rowland was like Carlos Correa. An above-average, solid player for a long time, See, but doesn't qualify as a Hall of Famer. No, I don't care about the statistics. No, Scott Rowland is not a Hall of Famer. Scott Rowland. It doesn't matter. So what are you basing on him being an above-average player? Statistics. You use statistics to back up the fact that my eyes tell me he was not an above-average player. The eight players who have a higher uh, you're going to you're not going to like this but uh, the eight players who had a higher war at the third baseman position it's seven hall of famers and Adrian Beltre is okay. Adrian Beltre a hall of famer oh Adrian Beltre is for sure a hall of famer first ballot yeah yeah he probably is yeah he is and if you want to do the eye test i mean who looks cooler than Adrian Beltre that's true that's true um what about Todd Helton absolutely not no no uh, I-, I think he's in a very similar category to Roland and Abreu. Due to three sixteen. Okay, over that's higher than like George Brett. How many World Series did? Oh well, no, he, the Rockies win. I mean, yeah, Brett, it, Brett you know, you have to take you have to take course Field into consideration. Listen, and he's a great listen. Too. Another thing about the Hall of Fame ballot is I think it's obviously what happens on the field is extremely important. Mm-hmm. But the the museum about baseball players, the museum about the history of baseball, it's about off the field too. Leadership. Mm. David Ortiz freaking built the city of Boston. That's true. He is how the much man. he how much he's done for baseball for Boston. And another thing that you have to throw in there is one of the most important parts of these guys' names on the ballot is how well they treated the baseball writers throughout their career that are going to vote them in. And no one treated them better than David Ortiz. Well, it's important, but should it's, it be? Should it be? It's not in the rule okay. book. It's not in the— Personality, character clause, I am so high on character clause. So, so then why should Bonds and Clemens be in? Because they're two of the greatest baseball players of all time. You think— no, I'm just saying, if you're going to go by the character clause, for the people who don't vote, vote in Bonds and Clemens, and obviously there's a sizable portion, they use Because the they're two clause. of the greatest baseball players of all time, that I'm not going to not vote. That outweighs it. That outweighs it okay. by a lot. I'm trying saying, to find, trying to find your, I'm your saying, line. I'm saying you're lying to me if you think that the way a player treats the media throughout his career doesn't have an impact oh, on Oh, it totally does, but my question is, should it? That's a tough question. Um... Obviously, writers are Specifically, just the way they treat the writers, not really. If someone's right on the edge, I can, I would be okay with them using the fact that they 
maybe didn't give them in an interview or whatever, whatever it may be. But in general, it shouldn't be. But the character clause overall should be. See, if I was a writer and I love, you know, I love the Hall of Fame. I love doing my ballot, um, my mock ballot every year. If I was a writer, I would, for, if we're going to talk about Kurt Schilling, right? Kurt Schilling, statistics-wise, and I know you don't like statistics, but Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. And the off-the-field stuff he says is makes him unlikable, but I didn't think it truly makes him a Hall of Famer. The one exception would be when he talked about hanging journalists. And then this past year when he said, writers, I hate all the writers, don't put me on the ballot. If I was a writer, I would say, okay, more room for other people. You're not on the ballot. That's why I think it goes back to the basis of the Hall of Fame. It's a museum. Mm-hmm. It's a museum. Do you want Kurt Schilling in the Museum of Baseball History for a hundred years when you go but back? The bloody sock is already in it. There are portions of Kurt Schilling. Exactly. His plaque, his plaque isn't in it. But exactly. But he's already in it. Parts of him. Parts of his legacy. That what I don't like about that argument. The Hall of Fame is just such a like close, prestigious bunch. I don't know. Let, let me look up the exact number. Well, I don't like about. The, what, the argument that it's about – it's a museum, it's about history, it's about, you know, if you can't tell the story without him, he shouldn't be a whole – but here's what I say to that. Joe Carter, right? You can't tell the story of baseball without his World Series winning home run, but he's obviously not a Hall of Famer. Bill Mazeroski, he's probably he is in the Hall of Fame, but he shouldn't be, cause, but he had a walk-off home run in the World Series. Does that make him a Hall of Famer? Does one signature moment that changes the history of baseball make you a Hall of Famer? No. Absolutely not, but that's my point. There's 340 people in the Hall of Fame. I think 19,000 people or something close to that number have ever played the game in in the MLB. Like, that's just compared to all the other sports. There's a lot more than 340. It's just such a small number. I I think it's correct to be so, so selective. Yeah. Which I understand. It is. It is because these players are in for history. I know you hated a guy like Harold Baines getting in. I did. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. You got to really – I don't like guys who are just like, you know, reactionary. Like, I think this guy's a Hall of Famer. I don't think – you got to really dive in. So even if I disagree with you, if I see your logic behind it. So let me ask you – so you, I assume you're a small Hall of Fame yes, guy. Yes, I am. You see, I would be more – if you look at the players who have – the portion of players who are Hall of Famers, the proportion of players who are Hall of Famers who played at a certain time, the 1920s, that's the most. That's like over 1%, 2%, and now it's very low. So I think you need to add more players from this era. There's a very, there's a very small amount of especially pitchers from this, hall, from this era because the guys who dominated the era, like Johan Santana, they had very small peaks. So I would be on the, in, the fa- in favor, excuse me, of having a big Hall of Fame. So I would have voted nine guys in if I'll be, be real quick with this. David Ortiz, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, the no. best left-handed reliever of all time, best ERA, pl- best strikeout per nine of all time, one of the best ERA pluses of all time, Andrew Jones, okay? I'm honestly very torn on him. He, out of everyone on the ballot, I had the toughest time. I honestly never was able to come to a decision because it's just because for the first what eight ten years of his career he was one of the best center fielders mm-hmm. in the game of all time I'd argue mm-hmm. 
But then I don't I would love to I haven't really done a real, real deep dive into his stats, but if you give he me fell 12, off if after you give eight me, years. Yeah, he did nothing after the age of thirty. But also remember, he came up at the age of nineteen. You know, Sandy Koufax, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, he had really five good years. Right? You're and, comparing Andrew no, Jones. No, I'm just to saying, Sandy I'm Koufax. just saying when you Andrew Jones, his peak, he was the greatest defensive center fielder since Willie Mays. And he hit 400 home runs. People before the domestic uh, violence accusations wanted to vote in Omar Vizquel because no, they said, no. they said, yeah, a sizable portion, 50%. No, Omar Vizquel would not have gotten into the hall. Yes, yes, he did have a sizable. No, he was getting into the him. Hall of Fame. And I year disagree. three, he was at 50%. And people wanted to vote him, him in because he was such a great defender, but he didn't hit. His OPS was 82. And Andrew Jones. Uh, OPS plus was 82, and Andrew Jones at a premium defensive position. He was an above average hitter, even when you include him um, after his age 30 when he fell off. How many players are some of, are generational defenders and give you 400 home runs? He had 50 home runs in a season. He was as big a part as that of that Braves run as Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, or Chipper Jones, who are all in the Hall of Fame. I do agree, but he's just. You look at 10 years of a guy that hit 270, 275 and averaged. He walked. 35. He walked, so what? He walked because that's important. He he didn't walk. He didn't walk. Yes. Just because when you play, he walked a good amount. Yes, this is true. He walked a good amount, but that doesn't take as much consideration into the ballot as. The fact I that he was a 254 career hitter. I think it does because if you're going to walk, two set, he was like still, 266. Still helping your team. 266 career hitter for the first 11 Jim years. Jim Tomey was what you know he was a 260 hitter, but he walked a lot, and that's what happens when you're a power hitter. You know you're you're trading average for walks and home runs. So if you're going to walk, that's going to help. That's Again, gonna help baseball hitters. immortality. You're really going to base it on how much a guy walks. You on Jim comparing yeah, Jim Tomey yeah, and if you walk a lot, Andrew you're a valuable Jones. player. So if yeah. I go up there and if you I, go up there and you hit 250, but you get on base 37 percent of the time, like that evens it out for me. It's an interesting take. Well, I don't know if I agree. To go back to the steroid thing, okay? Yes, th- that's what we should talk about. Yes, to go back to the, here is where I draw the line. If you were suspended by Major League Baseball, you are, cannot be a Hall of Famer. I love Manny Ramirez, one of the most he was controversial, but he was extremely fun and one of the greatest yes. right-handed hitters. Yes, He got suspended twice by the MLB. Sorry, you're not a Hall of Famer. Alex Rodriguez, probably the greatest infielder of all time if you're going to look at statistics. Suspended twice by the MLB, including once for a full season. You're not a Hall of Famer. In the Wild West days of the 90s, right? Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. He was the one who presided over this. And there's guys who probably did take steroids. Mike Piazza, uh, Pudge Rodriguez, um, Jeff Bagwell. And now, David Ortiz, if you want to take stock in it at Mitchell Report. So, yes, you should. Well, Rob Manfred said you shouldn't, but I'm just saying if you want to. Um, so in the days where they're not suspending players for taking steroids, and they're sort of just blaming their, uh, looking the other way, and so many players are taking it, if you're – I say it should be a penalty. Like for Sammy Sosa, I believe his whole game was predicated on taking steroids because he was not a Hall of Famer before those 60 home run seasons. But for a guy like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who we sort of know when they started taking steroids. I'd, it's not fair for you to 
for you to determine that. But that- I think all signs point to late career, late 90s. Bonds after Maguire Sosa. Clemens, once he joined the Yankees and he started with, he started using this trainer. But we don't know. That's why everything is so tough. But. You really don't know. Yes. Okay, yes. even if you want to say they were taking steroids for their entire career, even with the added boost, they are so far above the standard that they're already Hall of Famers. Yes. No, so I, I, that's I completely I agree. That's, but guys on the edge are like Sosa, I would not put in. It's just so tough because it's like spider tech. Like, the guys who did it before weren't penalized. We don't know who they are except for the obvious guys like Garrett Cole, like who in this situation is Bonds a little bit. He's the face of it. And then, you know, after – and then it's technically against the rules. No, Nothing's penalized. And then after is then we, f- we find out, but we never really got to find out, like, like with steroids. And it's just so tough. Yes, I definitely agree with your reasoning for – um, the the steroids at a point in their career and being suspended for the steroids for a reason for them to be or not be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that should be a reason to have David Ortiz in and Barry Bonds out. Because while it was survey testing and couldn't have been penalized and technically wasn't against the rules, David Ortiz did test positive for steroids. He that's a fact. That's, that's a fact. Anonymously, but Mom Manfred literally said that there is a high chance that it could be a false positive. So if you want, really, that's what he said. Really, that's what the commissioner of baseball said. You believe that David Ortiz had a false positive test for steroids, or just something? I mean, it was a shady test. It was literally. Just to see if more than 5% of players were taking steroids. It wasn't really to say he's taking steroids. He's taking it was steroids. survey it was testing. Get, That's the whole point. It was to but get a basis. It David Ortiz tested positive for steroids. It was never In, official. Yes, if you wanna, if it was you never official. Use that, if you yes. Wanna, okay, yes. If you want to use that. The but, answer is yes. Okay, but it is 14 or so years in Boston. I don't know I said or so. He played 14 years in Boston. He did not test positive once. And that's when he became a Hall of Famer, when they were literally doing the testing. All right, we could talk about this for we a talk, long, I, I will long defend David Ortiz's time. honor till the end of time. Well, he took steroids, so well, his career is irrelevant. He's a Hall of Famer. But the good thing is about this ballot, though, if I have to make one last point, is that now the controversy is over in most part. I mean, now it looks like Alex Rodriguez is not going to get in. But Yikes. Bonds, I don't like it. Schilling, those guys are all off. Sosa's off, too. We can now get into, hopefully, we got some really good guys coming on the ballot in the next couple of years. Adrian Beltre, Ichiro Suzuki uh, should have some fun. Chase Utley and Joe Mauer debates. I'm sure Fish doesn't think they should be in the Hall of Fame. But hey, Chase Utley. I think now the Hall of Fame is not going to have as much stigma around the voting. I agree. I agree. And I'm looking forward to seeing the next few years. We're going to go to a quick break here on VIC Radio, the Fox and the Fish. When we come back, we'll talk some Tom Brady, talk some Super Bowl, talk some NFL.
and still reduce greenhouse gas pollution. Go to fightglobalwarming.com. Brought to you by Environmental Defense, the Robertson Foundation, and the Ad Council. Are you looking to expand your music taste? Are you interested in feeling inspired by the voices of women? Tune into Girl Power here on BIC Radio every Sunday from 10 to 11 p.m. Welcome back to VIC Radio on Saturday morning. Fox and Fish talking sports. Talked a lot of Hall of Fame. Had some great discussions about the lockout. Now let's switch it over to the NFL a little bit. Super Bowl, obviously, this weekend. But it's been trumped a little bit by some some very big news in the football world of the greatest NFL player of all time, and in my opinion, one of the greatest athletes, maybe the greatest athlete to ever play any sport, Tom Brady's retirement. Tom Brady has retired, and it was a day I never thought would come. I was shocked. I wasn't shocked. I was shocked. Because it was sort of leading up to it. Um, I mean, you saw some of the things he was talking about with, you know, wanting to be around his family more. You know, it's not his decision all the time, even if he wants to play. And, I mean, what more did he have to prove? I mean, Tom Brady doesn't play really for proving to external forces. But 22 years, seven Super Bowls, he has every passing record in the book. And he wants a Tampa Bay and he won a Super Bowl. But, you know, this is a void that is going to be felt around the NFL. I mean, Tom, I can't imagine. I mean, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl the week before I was born. And I'm, if you want to do the math, I'm, I'm about to turn 20. And I've seen Tom Brady for my entire life. I think I've watched him 12 years the most. I'm a Patriots fan. I'm a Tom Brady fan. All right, let's call, a, uh, let's call it what it is. I am a Tom Brady fan. 12, I've been watching him for 11, 12 years. Um, the most miraculous comebacks, the greatest wins, the greatest feats. And I can't believe personally, you know, I can believe it in the sense that he's 44 and that, you know, at a certain point he has to retire. But I can't believe he's gone. I was so shocked. I thought he could play for a lot longer. And oh, when, that's, listen, that's issue, yeah. when was the last time that a quarterback with a career like that went out? He led the NFC in every single offensive category, every he led single the passing, in passing yards, completions, touchdowns. I mean, he's the first athlete I believe who has mastered the game. He I agree. said, "I'm going to walk agree. away when he sucked," and it never happened. It never happened. If you look at some other great quarterbacks, you know, um, Joe Montana went out. You know, he had some good years with the Chiefs, but he was derailed by injury. Uh, Brett Favre, he had one last good year with the Vikings. He went out after an injury plague uh, injury plague season too. John Elway, you know, people like to say he went out on top, but he was sort of a shell of himself at the end. Peyton Manning, he it, went out on top. He went out he, with a Super Bowl, but he, he went, went out, out with looking, a Super Bowl. It didn't look pretty. Tom Brady, you could literally look at him at 44 and 24, and you might say he's better at 44 because his mind caught up and his body. I mean, whatever you want to say about the TB12 method, there are some questionable things if you read the books about what he and Alex Guerrero <laughs> do. But how can you argue with the results? The dude never aged. Yeah, that's, that's partially why it's so tough to see him go. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just... Yeah. So hard to imagine watching the NFL and Tom Brady isn't the main character. It's yeah, like it really is. it's like it really your favorite is. show and the main character, your fa- the main character, your fa- the 
main character, you're, you're freaking dies. I mean, it's not just depressing. Tom, it's not just Tom Brady. I mean, you look at the play- quarterbacks who have retired over the last couple years: Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, and this year Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady. It is the end of an era. It really is, and it's it's sad because these are the players we grew up watching. It's the end of the smart passing quarterback oh, definitely. play design era. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a whole new – every quarterback – I'm worried that in the next five years, every quarterback is just going to be Lamar Jackson, you know, running yeah, all over, stupid with I the think football. each quarterback, each um, quarterback who is going to come in, like they – not everyone has to be Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen's not Lamar Jackson. Patrick Mahomes isn't Lamar Jackson. I, I disagree on the Patrick Mahomes one. I think no, Patrick Mahomes – His game isn't running. He – it's Lamar Jackson's game, it's game is not necessarily running. No, but I think I think more than Patrick Jackson, Mahomes. You, I think your point is that well, I'm not going to say your point for you, but what I interpret it as is that every quarterback who comes in is going to be run like run first. I think it's more. I I direct it more in the Patrick Mahomes thing, where not necessarily run first, but run a lot, and the way he jumps and makes those throws, it's completely different and it's not I just feel like it's more athletic here's I wouldn't say running using more athleticism less brain less real mm. play design yeah I could see that but I would push like look at a guy like Joe Burrow he's not the most mobile guy Joe Burrow actually reminds me of a lot of Ben Roethlisberger just really little, yeah I was thinking that when he was bouncing off guys against the Chiefs and running around and it was just it was a lot of Ben Roethlisberger and Ben Roethlisberger is probably one of the best 50-50 ball throwers. He would just throw it up there for his great wide receivers to get it. And Joe Burrow does a lot of the same things to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. So they remind me a lot of each other. But I agree with you that I think a guy who runs a 5-2, 40-yard uh, dash is probably never going to turn into the greatest quarterback of all time, just the way the game is going. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I love The thing about Burrow is I worry – so much about him getting hurt. I do too. Especially, I do. We, already, we already saw it. We already saw it. Yeah, I I remember the first week of last season. Tell my dad like Joe Burrow is gonna have gonna become decapitated if he keeps running and sliding like this. But is but do you consider Joe Burrow like a running quarterback? Do you consider him a dual threat? No, I don't. Just because you can ex- there's I feel like there's maybe four levels. The first level is Lamar Jackson. Okay, you're leading the, you're up there in the league in rushing. People fear you're rushing more than you're passing. Then you get a guy, maybe like uh, Russell Wilson, or if you want to put Patrick Mahomes in that category, where that is a dual threat. That is a guy who is a threat, both passing the ball, who can beat you over the top, but also extending plays. But when they scramble, they're looking to throw the ball first, as opposed to Lamar Jackson. When he scrambles, he's looking to run the ball first. Then you get a guy like Joe Burrow who can extend plays but is not necessarily ever really – well, we saw it last week. He does run, but he's not really – running's never one of his top choices. He is looking to throw the ball. And then you get a guy which – they're going extinct. A guy like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, sitting in the pocket. They can move around the pocket, but they're not going to run. So there's four levels to it. Ima- I just keep like thinking and imagining what the season would be like and what the Super Bowl would be like. If the Cincinnati Bengals had a good offensive line, well, they would still be they would still be here. They would probably host. Oh my god! They would probably host. Um, That's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. This yeah. they would be the complete favorite to win this Super Bowl. They would blow out every single team because, like the success. 
I'm just amazed by the success that Joe Burrow's having mm-hmm. when he got sacked well, nine, nine times. times. Nine times. And to be able to go into Tennessee, I mean, that's a signature moment. He didn't have right, his best right. statistical game. But to go into Tennessee and you're getting beat up, your offensive line, it wasn't just that they couldn't, they were getting beat. It was, they weren't even touching people. Guys were running free all game through that offensive line. And we saw it last year, we saw it this year. And for Burrow to win 10 games, to go on the road twice, to come back from 21 to 3, obviously it's not all him. We could put a lot of blame on Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense. But it's just really impressive. And now he's in the Super Bowl. Who's your pick? Super Bowl. I got the L.A. Rams. And, you know, I think America is rooting for the Bengals. But people should be rooting for the Rams, too. I mean, Matthew Stafford, here's a guy, not to speak Chris Collinsworth, but here's a guy who played, what was it, 12 years in Detroit. He had no help. He had, well, he had Calvin he had Johnson, no, but he had yeah, no running game, thing. no real coach, no defense, and never won a playoff game. And now, what I was saying watching that last game with Matthew Stafford is that he's still sort of the same guy he is. He, he was in Detroit. I mean, he's a gunslinger. He makes some really pretty throws, but he's also, you know, he threw that pick to Cooper Cup at the goal line. He almost threw another one on a deep ball. And the difference is now that he has a defense and a team overall that can support him. And you're seeing what he can do. He's up there in passing yards and touchdowns. And he was up there in Detroit, but now he's winning games. Now he's in the Super Bowl. This team, the Rams team is really, really impressive. They're my, they're my pick as well, and I want to see Stafford get one. But I really want to see Odell get one. It, it may be a little bit controversial, and I don't know why, but I just want to see Odell get a ring. I think, I think we're and say, all, screw you to the Giants. I think, I think we're all happy to see Odell back. In the, he's better for the game. He's, he's it, great for the game. I mean, game. he's electrifying. I mean, besides Tyreek Hill, who who has been more electric over the last five years or ten it's years than Odell? I mean, even when you saw it, like he catches the ball, you you know, a guy like Cooper Cup, like you don't, he's great and he's pro- he's a better receiver. But when Odell catches the ball, you just feel like something special is going to happen. He starts holding it out here and he starts dancing, and you're like, where is he going? And it's just after being ruined. You know, I've been – we could get into this in some off-season topics, um, some off-season shows, but I've been a harsh uh, big supporter of Baker Mayfield over the years. Ooh. But now looking at what he's done the last season, obviously he was injured, but also just like Odell's still kind of Odell. Odell's very much Odell. Yeah. And, and Baker Mayfield's making horrible progressive commercials. Yeah. Yeah. So who's who's at home watching exactly, Super Bowl? Exactly. Um. But just this Rams team, man, they are just stacked. I mean, they're as good as they were, as they have been all season. They keep getting better, and it's not often that you see that. You know, they beat the Buccaneers, who were derailed by injuries to Chris Godwin and obviously the old Antonio Brown situation. But the Rams, now you got Beckham and Miller fully integrated. You've got Cam Akers um, back from his Achilles injury. Um Eric Weddle has come and helped, and he's still playing some good ball. Andrew Whitworth has come back. You know, the la- the team that they put on the field against the 49ers last weekend is as good a Rams team as we've seen all season. And it's not often you say that about a team this late in the season. Yeah, I want Matthew Stafford to get that, to get that chip. And I want Cooper Cup to get that chip in this team. But I want the Bengals to win one at some point in the next couple of years. I think, I think at least in his career, Joe Burrow really needs to win a Super Bowl. I don't know if this is the right one, but 
it, I think it would be very disappointing to not see him win. I don't think it's the right one. I sort of like it. Almost feels like as just a from a football, a pure football fan perspective, that this is just like it's so soon. Like he just came. I on know. The stage. Exa- that's what I'm I saying. I like the progression. That's what I'm saying. You know, like besides Ben Roethlisberger, I know I keep going back to him, but like it takes a while. Peyton Manning, it took nine years. It took um, Aaron Rodgers. What he won in the league in 05. It took him five years. It takes Drew Brees. It took. Ten years, just it feels like we haven't really appreciate the climb of Joe Burrow, but I don't think he gets it this year. I think they're going to. Um, I mean, this is the first year of Jamar Chase. I mean, he's only going to get better. Burrow and Chase, we're going to be talking about as one of, if they stay together as one of the best QB wide receiver combos of all time. And it's not just that they're both great in their own right; it's that they have that chemistry. I mean, against the Raiders, they were just doing whatever they wanted. He would just throw it perfect spot in stride. Um, perfect timing, and they were just completed every time. Um, but I agree with you that I want to see – I just don't think it's the year for the Bengals. Um, the Rams are the better team. Um, Matthew Stafford deserves it more from a football fan perspective. I mean, he's been working – he's been doing this a lot longer for than Burrow. But, yeah, I got the Rams. I, I agree with that, but I think it's going to be a very g- good game. I'm looking forward to it. Got a little less than five minutes left here. Next week we got to talk Aaron Rodgers. Cause, uh, oh yeah, because there's there's a lot to talk about, and I'm really excited. This is going to be a really exciting football off season. It will. It will. Even with some of our favorite players retired, or my favorite player retired, there's so many. There, you got seven quarterbacks in the draft. You got Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Jimmy Garoppolo, possibly on the. Well, I shouldn't put Jimmy Garoppolo in that conversation. Nope. But a lot of good to great quarterbacks on the move. Um, a lot of teams with new coaches. It's going to be really interesting, and a lot of new blood in the NFL. It's kind of random, but I'm very curious to see who the Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback is going to be. That is Rodgers is my first thought, and we'll talk about be, this next that would be week. So interesting, but we'll talk about that next their week. defense is just so good to not keep going. And I wonder if you, how, how much how many years Gronk is going to go? Is he going to retire? I think Gronk's done. Gronk's going to retire. Gronk said he's leaning towards retirement, and we know what that means. He was just waiting for Brady. Yeah. I mean, it's understandable. Gronk wants to do commercials. He's I would have thought that they would have done it together. Yeah, but they didn't or do it together in the first time. Or at least in some form. I'm glad. I'm In reflection, I'm really glad Gronk came back. Oh, yeah. Because. Here's he, my question. Do you think the Bucks have that, you know, couple of years with Brady and, and this where they were so good without Gronk? I don't think they won a Super Bowl. Well, maybe. I mean, Gronk really didn't do much in that playoff run last year. He did a solid amount. He really, he only caught. He's a great blocker, too. Yeah, he was a great. Yeah, they probably, I don't know if they beat the football team without him chipping. uh, That's true. That's true. But he only caught two passes in the first three games, I believe. Um, I don't think the Bucs do what they did. I mean, without Brady bringing in these guys like Leonard Fournette, like Gronk, like Antonio Brown, they don't win a Super Bowl. And I think you're going to see a mass exodus. From Tampa Bay, so to speak. I don't know if Chris Godwin re-signs because, you know, who's throwing to him? Gronk gone, Fournette gone, and, yeah, it could be – I mean, the NFC South is going to be really bad next year. We could get into that in the offseason yeah. episode. I wonder what's going to – I always – he's always been one of my favorite players. Like, for the most random reason, well, just because, like, I was I was a little bit of a Bucks fan when, uh, when it was in the down days. Jameis Winston. 
I really want to see him I do make too. a revival as a starting quarterback in the league. I do too. And I think I saw some some like what made me think of it was I saw some meme that was like Tom Brady's gone. It's Seamus Winston's time to shine in, in Champa Bay. No, I like him in New Orleans. Well, I don't know about the Saints because I, I don't know I, about the Saints. We can get into Sean Payton, but yeah. um, like just that was shocking. We'll get I into. Know, it. We'll I don't know if that it. was that shocking. I don't know if that was. All right, we keep teasing stuff. We keep saying we're going to get into it. I know we, we're got not going to get into it. Minute but and a half. Left. We're just excited. First episode of the Fox and the Fish, almost in the almost in the books. Um, we're gonna have to get creative with some of this football stuff if baseball season doesn't come back. I, I feel like there's still gonna be stuff to talk about in baseball. What? I mean, there's been literally nothing over the last. I mean, what can? Uh, who's that guy? Seas Susaki Stein? No, he can't. No, he can't. Stein. So what but are we talking, talking about? But he's still talking with teams. I mean, you got your minor league baseball, regardless. Yeah. Of the, of, I love my could, minor league you baseball. Could, you could be breaking down the. We could be breaking down the pop prospects every week. But. Maybe we could do that. <laughs> Maybe we can convince VIC Radio here at Ithaca College to have a MLB prospects show. Look, the prospects are the future, man. The prospects. The are prospects the are indeed the future. All right, we're wrapping it up shortly. Fox and the Fish here on VIC Radio. It's Saturday morning. Had some great conversations about football, about baseball. We will be back next week, Saturday, eight a.m. same time, oh, yeah. same place. Signing off from. The Ithaca College VIC Radio. I'm Eli Fishman.